you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn the Old Testament to, you guessed it, Deuteronomy chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. Feel free to use that. Keep your Bible open this week. We're going to be uh, looking at several different passages, but for right now, Deuteronomy chapter 10. You know, good theology, good theology, sometimes turns up in really unexpected places. In 1979, Bob Dylan won the Grammy Award for Best Rock Vocal Performance by a male for his song, Gotta Serve Somebody. (laughs) You know the song. It was Dylan's last hit single. And the chorus says, and don't worry, I'm not going to sing it. (laughs) My children get so nervous when I sing from the pulpit. You got to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you got to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you got to have to serve somebody. That's a universal truth. You got to serve somebody. But not everybody appreciated Dylan's highlighting this truth and the choice that it presents to everyone. And so the battle was on. John Lennon did not like Dylan interjecting religion into his music. And so he said the singing was pathetic and the words were just embarrassing. So he, in turn, wrote and recorded a song, Serve Yourself. You got to serve yourself. Ain't nobody going to do it for you. You got to serve yourself. Ain't nobody going to do it for you. Well, you may believe in devils and you may believe in lords, but if you don't go out and serve yourself, lad, ain't no room service here. <laughs> Those are the words. Here it is, though. Here is the battle before us, the the tug of war, life's greatest tug of war. Who will you serve? It's your choice. But a battle rages over the decision that you will make. Who are you going to serve? That's what we want to talk about this morning. So if you have your Bible open to Deuteronomy chapter 10, I'm going to ask you to stand. Once again, we're just going to read one verse, but we'll stand to honor the word of the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Verse 20, fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and make your oaths in his name. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do ask that you would bless the reading and hearing of your word. This one verse, Lord, but packed with so much truth, so much here for us to understand, and more importantly, so much here for us to apply as your truth transforms our lives. And so that's what we pray this morning, Lord that you would bring transformation by the power of your spirit and through the truth of your word. So we submit ourselves now to the authority of your word and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Last week, we talked about fearing the Lord, the kind of fear that means uh, honor and respect. The kind of awe and amazement that will only come when you and I take time to really look at the Lord, to study Him, to study Him through the creation in which He has placed us, to study Him through His Word. We saw as well that quick glances in His direction, if that is the normal pattern of your life, quick glances in God's direction will not inspire the awe and the reverence and the fear that you and I should have, and that we certainly will have when we are truly looking at God. When we see the the subtle nuances, the facets of his character. 
when we hear those subtle undertones and overtones as his voice speaks to us through his word, even the same passages, over and over and over again. Because when you and I see and when you and I hear, then we will fear God. Then we will be in awe of God. And when we are in fear of God and awed by him, how can our lives not be impacted? How can our lives not be changed? We see that change in every other area of our lives. We may try to act like people don't impress us. Oh, I'm not impressed by anybody else. They put the pants on the same way as I do in the morning. Yeah, we can pretend to be that way, but that's not who we really are. When we are in the, the presence of someone who has captured the attention of the public because of their expertise or because of some talent they have, it's difficult not to act differently when you are in their presence. If you're here this morning and you're into banking or, or, or finance or something like that, and you're invited to lunch with Alan Greenspan, you may be a little nervous about what you're going to say. You don't want to embarrass yourself. You don't want to ask a dumb question. You certainly want to impress and you want to appear competent by, by chance if he should ask you to do something for him in some way. The same is true if you're a doctor or a lawyer. The Surgeon General calls you, politics aside, Attorney General calls you to have lunch, same scenario. As it would be if Martha Stewart were coming to your home. You would check your decor and you would go over your menu time and time again. And if Tiger Woods joined you on the course at Kiowa, you would immediately begin evaluating, how's my swing, how's my swing? And these are just human beings, like you and like me. And yet their presence alters us. It changes our behavior. It forces us to take stock of ourselves, who we are, what we say, what we think in their presence. So how much more then? And that's true. Is that not true? It is true. So how much more then should you and I not be changed, altered in the presence of the God of the universe, the one and only true and living God? Looking at him, fearing him, being in his presence, it should change us. And so if you're looking for change in your life, I am looking for change in my life. A lot of people I talk to are looking for change in their lives. Oh, if something could just change. If you're looking for change in your life, this is the place to start. This is where change begins. So don't move another step. Don't even take the step that we're going to talk about a little later this morning, which is serving the Lord, if you have not first spent time being awed by the Lord. I know I read 2 Corinthians 3.18. 2 Corinthians 3.18 very often from this pulpit. And it would be perfectly appropriate if I read this passage every single Sunday. Because this passage reorients us. And so I'm going to read it to you now. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The NIV says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image. So change for you and for me. Transformation comes from looking at, contemplating the glory of Christ. And let me tell you one thing. That is why sweet Caroline, that we just baptized here this morning, prayerfully is never going to go to Sunday school at Redeemer 
and hear the story of David and Goliath told, and then be told, now go and be brave like David. She's never going to hear the story of Daniel and the lion's den and be told, now go and be bold and pray three times a day like Daniel prayed. Because you know what? Looking at David, looking at Daniel will not transform Caroline or anyone else. But looking at the God of David, looking at the God of Daniel, that's where transformation will come. Who is this God? What did these men see in their God? What did they know about him that allowed them to stand up with five small stones and a slingshot, a young lad in the presence of a giant, that allowed them to pray by an open window three times a day when the penalty for prayer was death? I guarantee they did not look within themselves, they didn't dig deep within themselves, to find this courage and bravery. They did not look around to other people because as they looked around, all they saw was fearful people. Where did they look? They looked up to God. And based on who they saw him to be, based on his character, based on how he had worked in history and in their own lives, they acted. And so now these people stand on the plains of Moab, ready to take possession of the promised land. Long before David, long before Daniel. But God has given them a lot to do. He's given them this land, and through these people, the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. They're going to have plenty to do But before they do anything, they must first look up. They must first fear the Lord. That's where transformation comes. Look in verse 20. The transformation that must take place. Fear the Lord your God and serve Him. So you and I, with these people as well, we must look up to God if we're going to be transformed from self-servers to God-servers. Never going to happen if we don't first look up to be transferred or transformed from self-servers to God-servers. And that's what the word here, serve, means. It just means to work or, or to labor. But there are a lot of nuance of meaning to this word. It also means worship, which is why we call what we're doing right now the worship what? Service. The worship service. We're serving the Lord through our worship. Here's the idea of being a slave, of being bound to someone. And so that's the call on our lives to work for, to labor for the Lord, to see yourself as a servant of the Lord in all of life. Have you all heard of Brother Lawrence? He was a 17th century lay brother in a monastery in France. And he wrote a little book that has become a classic and has been for hundreds of years called The Practice of the Presence of God. And he was very low on the totem pole, so Brother Lawrence was assigned kitchen duty. And it was a tedious job, lots of cooking, lots of cleaning. He had to be at the beck and call of those who were superior to him in the monastery. And he wrote this, Men invent means and methods of coming at God's love. They learn rules and they set up devices to remind them of that love. And it seems like a world of trouble to bring oneself into the consciousness of God's presence Is it not quicker and easier just to do our common business wholly for the love of Him? Nor is it needful that we should have great things to do. We can do little things for God. I turn the cake that's frying on the pan for the love of Him. And that done, if there's nothing else to call me, I prostrate myself and worship before Him, who has given me grace to work. Afterwards, I rise happier than a king. It's enough for me to pick up but a straw from the ground for the love of God. 
The time of business does not with me differ from the time of prayer. And in the noise and the clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were upon my knees before the blessed sacrament. It wasn't easy for Brother Lawrence. He said, as often as I could, I placed myself as a worshiper before him, fixing my mind upon his holy presence, recalling it when I found it wandering from him. This proved to be an exercise frequently painful, yet I persisted through all difficulties. There was a battle for the service of Brother Lawrence. And he defeated that, or he won that battle in worship as he looked up to God. That's the transformation that takes place in everyone who truly fears the Lord. And so the question that comes to the mind of the person who truly sees the awesomeness of our awesome God is, how can I serve this God? What can I do for Him? The question is not, what do I have to do? The question is not, what is the least I can do and still be okay with God? I ask those questions myself. It's easy. But if any of us are asking those questions constantly, you know what? we got to go back to step one because we do not yet fear the Lord. Do not try to serve the Lord unless you first fear and honor Him. Even if the church calls on you, even if I call on you, hey, do this or that. Some parachurch organization calls on you, works you to death. Even if they call, if the church calls, if you have not first looked up, if you are first not fearing the Lord, do not serve. Now that's the preacher saying that. Don't. Say no to me. If you are not first looking up and honoring and fearing the Lord, we've got to keep the order correct. Fear the Lord, then serve the Lord. If we get things out of order, it's not going to end well. I want to fast forward a few years, decades, centuries from the plains of Moab to see what happens when people don't get the order right. I want you to turn with me to the book of Malachi. It's the very last book in the Old Testament. The very last book in the Old Testament. If you go to Matthew, turn back. One book. This is Malachi chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. And this is the Lord speaking. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offerings from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty, but you, you profane it by saying the Lord's table is defiled. And its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty. And my name is to be feared among the nations. See, the, the people of the world 
are to be in awe of this great God. They are to honor and, and revere Him. But God's very own people are making a mockery of God and His requirements and His sacrificial system. And the attitude of God's own people demonstrates drudgery and resentment. And it demonstrates a complete lack of understanding of God's greatness. Why should anyone fear or be in awe of God who is only worthy of the leftovers? Who wants to serve a God who is only worthy of the rejects? The injured and lame and diseased animals that could not be put to a profitable use anywhere else. Wow, that should cause us to pause just for a minute and ask what God gets from us. Does He get our first? Does He get our best? Or does He get our leftovers? That's for you to answer. But the God who commanded that the temple be built so that people could come into His presence and worship Him, that same God said, shut the temple doors. Don't let anyone in. Not like this, anyway. The God who commanded and and instituted the sacrificial system, He preferred that the altar be, be cold and fireless and no sacrifice put upon it than to have people like this coming and sacrificing before Him. Now turn with me to Isaiah. You've got to go back toward Genesis. The book of Isaiah, the first chapter. Isaiah 1, let's start in verse 11. Again, this is the Lord speaking. Same message. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams, and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. And now look down in verse 18. Come now. Let us settle this matter. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. So look, clearly these people were quote-unquote serving the Lord. They were bringing their sacrifices to Him faithfully, but who did they believe they were bringing their sacrifices to? See, if these people had gotten the order right, if they had first looked up to God, if they had first considered His character, if they had first been awed by Him, their sacrifices would not have been meaningless and wrote and performed begrudgingly. So what does God do? I love it. God tells them the gospel, Old Testament style. Because guess what? The gospel is always the answer. Do you believe that? The gospel is always the answer. And so God says to them, come, let us settle the matter. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow.
Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Look up. Look up. The perfect, flawless, holy, glorious, magnificent creator and sustainer of the universe is unbelievably both able and willing to forgive your sins, to wash them away, to make you clean and fresh as the new snow. That's amazing. You serve a God like that. We've got to remember what we talked about a couple of weeks ago about the aseity of God, that God is complete in and of himself. He does not need you or me. God does not need anything from us, but God accepts from us accepts from us every thought, every act of service that comes from a heart and a mind that fear him, that are in awe of him and who he is and what he has done. And so this whole thing is like a flow chart. Picture a flow chart. And here in the first box, the question is, do you fear the Lord? The arrow goes to the box. If you say yes, there's another arrow that says, serve the Lord. Do you fear the Lord? If your answer is no, there's an error that comes back this way and goes back to box one. Start over again. Fear the Lord. Something the newest convert can do. The person who has just had their heart of stone replaced by a heart of flesh. Who knows what the Lord has done and the change he has wrought. They can begin, even in that moment, even the first hours of their faith, serving the Lord because they are in such awe and fear of who he is and what he has done for them. But it's a tug of war. It's always a battle in my life. I'm guessing it's a battle in your life to to stop serving self and start serving the Lord. And it's a battle because self is so strong. Self is strong. Understandably so. Because we take good care of self. We feed it. We nurture it. We give it all of it, not vegetables, we give it milkshakes because self doesn't want a vegetable. Self wants a milkshake. Everything self wants, we're eager to spoil self, to satisfy self's every demand. So no wonder self is so strong and thinks so much of itself. We rarely deny self anything that it asks for. And so you and I can only overcome self when we're looking at God. I want to look at another passage. Y'all are getting a workout this morning. This is a test to see who knows their Old Testament. <laughs> Haggai. Go to Haggai. Third from the end. Two back from Malachi. You'll find the book of Haggai. You know, God's people re- rebelled so much against him. And they refused to listen to his prophets. So finally, God allowed the Babylonians to come in and to destroy Jerusalem, including the temple which was one of the wonders of the ancient world, and carried the people away to captivity in Babylon. After about 70 years, God allowed his people to go home, what they wanted. We want to go home. And so God allowed them to go back. And as soon as they got back, one of the first things they did was to begin to rebuild the temple. Because the temple was God's house, and God had been so good to them, and so they wanted a nice house for him, and they began to start building the house for their gracious and glorious God. Unfortunately, Began is the key word there. Because they made a start in rebuilding the temple, but they didn't follow through. Why? Because self was so strong. And so they gave in to self, and they abandoned rebuilding the temple of God so that they could serve themselves. And so now we're in Haggai chapter 1, verse 2. 
This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? declares the Lord Almighty. Because of my house, which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. See? Serving self, serving God. Ultimately, there's no gain in serving self. Ultimately, there's no satisfaction in serving self. You know, and this is not just sour grapes. This is the Word of God. You put yourself first. You put yourself first and you will not have a satisfied life. I guarantee that. You put yourself first, you will not have a satisfied life. You'll lead a frustrated life. You'll lead a frustrated life because all you hoped would bring you satisfaction. All you hoped would bring you contentment did not, and that frustrates you because you worked so hard to get it. No matter what you have, it's not enough. It's like having a hole in your pocket or a hole in your purse. Why won't we believe this? We don't believe it. Why not? Even with reams of evidence in front of us. Go to the grocery store, stand in the checkout line, read the magazine headlines. The people that have the most resources, so much, uh, so much in their life, but they live for themselves. And we see the drama and the tragedy of lives live that way every week, week by week in those papers. But better yet, listen to the testimony of King Solomon, the wisest, richest man in the world. I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect water to irrigate many flourishing groves. I bought slaves Both men and women and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire, exclamation point. 
And so I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me. And my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything, everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. Like chasing the wind, there was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Now that's how King Solomon begins his book, Ecclesiastes. And listen listen how he ends it. Last chapter, last verse. Now all has been heard. All has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. That's it. Fear God. Keep his commandments. The testimony of the man who had it all. His final conclusion on life. So read the inquirer at the grocery store. Read scripture. Both bear out the same truth because it's a universal truth. And it's a universal truth because God created the universe and it's his truth. So it's a universal truth. You enslave yourself to God. Chain yourself to him. Serve him. See all of your life as lived before him. You will have a productive, satisfied life. You'll have a productive, satisfied life. But it doesn't come without a battle. And I'll close with this. This verse, Deuteronomy 10, 20, was made more famous, most famous by Jesus' use of it. When he was in the desert, being tempted by Satan, 40 days, 40 nights fasting. I'm not going to talk about the first two temptations, but the third one is the one that Satan was really after. And you know the story. He, he showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world, and he said, if you will bow down before me and worship me, I will give you all these kingdoms. Now remember, the word service means what? Worship, bowing down. This is what Satan really wants. This is what he's after. He wants glory. He wants worship. He wants to be served. He wants us to serve him. He wants you and me to serve him. And it may sound sedate to read it here in the temptation, but but this desire that Satan has to be served by us, to be worshipped by us, which is what we're doing if we're doing anything but worshipping the one and only true and living God, It's what makes him a roaring lion. It's what makes him do what Scripture says, to seek to and fro who he may devour. It's what he wants. It's why Satan was cast out of heaven. He wanted the glory that belonged to God. He wanted the worship that belonged to God. And so he, for some crazy reason, thought he could steal it. And he was cast out of the presence of the Lord. And now his whole existence is to steal that glory and worship and worshipers from God. He's a thief. Not an art thief, not a jewel thief, not a book thief. He's a glory thief. He's a worship thief. That's what he wants. And so that's why there is this incredibly powerful tug of war in our lives to serve God or to serve ourselves. But Jesus rebuffs the final temptation of Satan by looking to God. And he says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God. Fear the Lord your God and serve Him only. That's it. That's what Jesus says. Worship the Lord. Fear the Lord and serve Him only. Serve Him singly. Serve Him exclusively. And what does that mean for us? 
We've got to get things in order, right? Either put in their proper place or cast out of our lives anything that would skip ahead of this order that we serve God first. We serve Him singly with all our lives. The mundane and the monumental all belong to the Lord. So when self tempts you to serve it, when self says, serve me, feed me, pacify me, it's going to say it to you this afternoon, I guarantee it. No self, no, 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 no self, no, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You're only going to win this battle, and I'm only going to win it when we look up, right? We are fear and awe of this amazing God who knows us and loves us and has called us by name. If you're not looking up, you're going to give in to the temptation and serve someone else. Because it is true, as Bob Dylan said, you got to serve somebody. So the call on your life and mine is to serve the Lord. From whom we have re- received so much. To sing out, to sing out, my richest gain, my richest gain I count but loss. And pour contempt on all my pride. All the vain things that charm me most. The things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. Love so amazing, so divine, demands and deserves my soul, my life, my all. Will you give God what he so rightly deserves from you? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we readily acknowledge with our words that we are your servants. But Father, we need the power of your Spirit to make that a reality in our lives. To make us truly see ourselves for who we are and who you have wired us to be. Not servants of self. There's no satisfaction there. There's no contentment there. You have wired us to be your servants, your worshipers. People who stand in awe of you. In your glory and your splendor. People who have the privilege of telling others about what a wonderful, amazing God you are. And of your ability to love and forgive and cleanse and make new and give fresh starts one after the other. And so, Father, we pray that we would be those people. That we would serve you only. That we would serve you exclusively in every area of our lives. Again, Lord, in the mundane or in the monumental. It doesn't matter. In all of life, we serve you. May it be so. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.